Welcome to Author News Weekly, the weekly news show by authors for authors. We read the news so you don't have to. Join our panel of best-selling authors each week as we take a deep dive into the publishing world, both indie and traditional. Author News Weekly. Yeah, welcome back to Author News Weekly. Thanks for joining us. I'm R.A., that's Jim, that's Pippa, yep. that's Nick, and that was the fastest intro that we've ever done. I feel pretty accomplished. I feel seen. I have a question to open with for you guys, okay? Mm-hmm. Now, I just recently learned what a word meant, okay? And I've used Patina. this. No, no, Patina. We'll get into Patina later. Okay. But I've used this word. I've used this in every book I've ever written multiple times. Had no uh-huh. idea what it's called, okay? Are you guys aware of what a dinkus is? You use that in every book? Every book I've ever written. <laughs> I've read a book. book. My, I don't remember it's anybody got my, my big old dinkus all over it. <laughs> mm. Mm, that's, I, well, I didn't, didn't use it like that. I would describe a person as a dinkus. Like, um, what's the show that we watch that somebody is called a dinkus? In? I know that. I was amazed. And apparently when you do like a scene break and you have like the three little asterisks, that's actually called a dinkus. Hmm. No, it's not. Google it. Heard that. Google it. Check it no. out. There's Check no it way. out. I was amazed. Oh, I... And I'm feeling better that you guys didn't know either because I thought I was possibly the most stupid author on the planet. I still might possibly be the most stupid author on the planet. There's a lot of competition in that area. Is there? You know, that makes me feel good, Pippa. Thank you. It's not demonstrable that I'm the stupidest author on the planet. No. Okay. So dinkus, that's the word for the day. Tell little man what dinkus means. That way he won't be as left behind as I was. (laughs) No child left behind. (laughs) No dinkus. I know that. Delineated. (laughs) Okay. So with no further ado, I say we get into the news. Stairs, There's some barrels got rolled down. Okay, fine. Chill. Explanation coming then. Go you know, check you guys, on your gonna... family, dude. <laughs> I, I run a podcast with my buddy Kevin Tumlinson. It's called Stuff That's Real That You Didn't Know Is Real But Also Is Cool. Mm-hmm. And today's was biodata sonification, which means plugging shit into mushrooms and turning it into sound. And so here's the sound of a hippie in the woods with a synthesizer listening to the sound of leaves and trees and mushrooms. Wow. So I'm I'm just going to let that play the back. I got 20 minutes of this. So just, you know, buckle up, guys. Kind of amazing. I think maybe it would be better if I ate the mushroom first, though. (laughs) I think there's a lot of eating going on as well as the. Mm. Yeah, it's a greatest hits album. Shrooms on shrooms is what I'm calling this episode. That's legit, dude. That's uh, legit. Anyway, sorry about that. That was queued up, so I just pressed play. No, no, it's totally an accident. Not because <laughs> of the shtick. All good. Okay, so our first story is coming to us from Kalytics. Uh, that's Alex Newton, I think, runs that. Nighthouse or something, but he had to come up with an American name because he knows I don't like Europeans. That's fair. That's fair. And so this is uh, the Kindle category trends, the 2022 kickoff. And so he's got like a little video here about January trends and stuff like that. So that's cool to look at if you're interested. What I saw something quick that I kind of found promising was he is saying that Global Fund for KU paid out 
almost 20% more than the previous year. Does that seem right to you guys? And what else kind of are you taking from the Alex? Because Alex is like a statistic guy. So what are you taking from him? How about Pippa? Oh, wait a minute. Was that you breathing to take a crack at the question, Nick? Or Who, me? No. Yeah, no, that I... was just, you needed to live. So that's, you just took another breath like that. Yeah, I breathe heavy, you know. It's just post-COVID world we live in. That's Never know when you take your next breath. Pippa, what do you think about the Kaylin? To be honest with you, I only oh, there's a report. I hate watching videos, so I know nothing of what was in there. Now I'm at a download free for no, I'm not giving you my email. I do the same thing. If it's a video, I'm like, nah, I'm out. Yeah. So I have no idea what he said. Tell me about what he said and then I'll (laughs) go from there. Jim. So Jim, she's done her research help me. for this. Jim, yeah. I'm drowning and Pippa just threw an anchor on my head. Help me. Well, I did watch the first 30 to 45 seconds of the video, so I'm the most learned person oh, here. Unless you're sucking up the t-shirt. <laughs> I didn't watch the video. You don't have to assume. No, and this KU is increasing. The fund's increasing, which means there are probably more people writing books. There are probably more people reading books which this makes perfect sense. You know, in 2021, I think a lot of people had to make hard decisions about getting rid of entertainment expenses. And so we're seeing more of the true readers leaning into KU because people who may have spent 30 or 40 bucks a month on books they wanted before now see joining KU as a much more economical choice for one price to read as much as they want. If reading is your primary form of entertainment and you can get all you can eat, that seems like the most economically feasible option right now with the world ending and everything, the economy in the shitter that people just want more affordable options. That's my guess. Mm. Sounds good. Sounds good to me. Nick, what about you, man? Uh, you're a KU I guy. You, you excited yeah. it's growing or what, bro? I'm pro KU. So I have an interesting, uh, I guess it was anecdotal, so it doesn't mean anything to anyone else, but my income stayed the same last year. Now, the reason I think that's cool and important is I didn't write anything last year. I didn't release anything last year. Where normally I would write a book at least once every few, maybe four months. I was a year between releases. I released one in December of 2020 and one in December of 2021. And my income stayed the same. Now, I bolstered that with ads. But I think what happened was in any normal year prior to this past year, I would have seen my income go down significantly. And the fact that I didn't tells me, again, anecdotal. But I had a feeling there were a lot more people getting into KU. And that's why my income was back up because there were just more readers. So correct me if I'm wrong, like I don't think an increase in the Kindle Select Global Fund implies more writers, it implies more readers, right? Because like it's Amazon. They're not going to just pay us more money because there's more of us and the, they'll just take the pot and split it up against more people and we'll all get paid less. They don't care. But if they get more readers in it, then they're just, they've, they've got a percentage that they always just put into the pot, right? So anyway, I just think that's telling to me. It says, yeah, 20% more people uh, reading in KU, which is cool. That's Cool from from a my personal income standpoint, it's really uncool from a how the hell does no other company figure out how to compete with them standpoint. Mm. Yeah, we would need to see the trend of the payout to know how many books were there. That's true. Just doesn't yeah, yeah. tell us whether there's more or less books. Just more I would readers. assume there's more, but yeah, you're right. Like we would just we'd need to see that, right? But seriously though, like why is this so hard for all these other companies bitch about Amazon all the time? But it's like, guys, figure it out. Like just give authors more money and we will go to you. And find readers and give them something better than Amazon and they will go to you. And it's not, it just doesn't seem to be that hard. Maybe it is. I'm given to understand that the search algorithms on Amazon are 
better in a way that is difficult to emulate. Like the recommendations um, engine part of it? Yeah, the recommendations, but that doesn't excuse the fact that, for instance, Barnes & Noble, yeah, literally, right. you can't browse for books on their website. Like Walmart. Well, why, why would you wouldn't go to Barnes and Noble looking for books though, Pippa? You would go. I know, I know. It's not their Cocoa main Pops, hub, but like clearly. still, you need some knickknacks that are overpriced and maybe like a journal. <laughs> sure. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, we'll see how all this bears out. And uh, if you're listening to this, maybe you should watch the video, and you will be better than most of us. <laughs> <laughs> so, and you'll know what's going on. So, all right. Our next story comes to us from Buffer.com via The Jim Heskett. That's two E's, The Jim Heskett. And it is, ask Buffer, should I post personal content on my business account? So the question is, I see so many influencers, oh, I did that in word. quotes, yeah, favorite word, posting details of their personal lives on social media, and I'm wondering if I should do the same. I'm the face of my small business. Yeah, me too. So should I share personal posts, kids, pets, daily life on my business account or keep it totally separate? I don't really post pictures of my family and stuff on my social media, so I can't really talk about this. But Jim, I know you're uh, big in the blog game and stuff. What do you think about the advice here? Well, first of all, let me say that there's an Instagram account called Influencers in the Wild. Everyone should follow that account. It's Ooh, great. It's videos of influencers recording videos, which is <laughs> way more fascinating than it sounds, actually. I'm on but a Reddit then, subreddit on that same. It's called I'm the main character. It's the same sort of thing. It's like people like <laughs> people dancing in the middle of a street for a TikTok video. Yeah. And yeah. Like, yeah. Have you seen the one like, with the, the woman <laughs> in the aquarium where like the tube goes above you and like the fish are all around? And she's like looking up like she's touched. You know what I mean? She's just like, and there's people just taking pictures of her just looking, you know, because she's trying to catch that like picture of wonderment at the, anyways, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Sorry, Jim. It, yeah. Anyway, so I almost forgot what I was going to talk about. I think I find this question really interesting. I wrestle with this question a lot. Like how much of my personal life do I include in my social media? Because there's two extremes. There's one extreme where you post constantly about your family, your hobbies, your interests, not related to the business I'm selling. And there's the other option where I don't share any of it. And I feel like both of those options are a mistake. Both mm -hmm. of those extremes are a mistake because if you never post anything about yourself personally, then you just appear like a, a sales robot. Yeah, You're just a sales robot who tells people when to go buy books. And if you post way too much, then you end up diluting your message you end up attracting people who like cat pictures because you post pictures of your cat. You end up attracting people for different reasons that are not necessarily related to books. And so there's a middle ground there. There's a fine line where there's a certain amount of personal stuff to post and a certain amount of selling stuff and a certain amount of just industry-related stuff like here's 10 great thrillers that come out this month is something I would post. And I was thinking about this. I saw this article the other day and right around the same time, on like within a couple of days, I was watching football. I was recording this. It's the NFL playoffs. I was watching football and I hadn't posted it on my socials in a couple of days. And I was like, huh, this could be interesting. So I opened up Facebook, opened up my author account, and I just said, hey, I'm watching the NFL. What teams are you guys rooting for? And I just posted that because I was like, you know, I don't really care what teams they're rooting for. I do post like that as kind of like anecdotal evidence collecting. Like, I want to see the kind of people who post on Facebook and follow me, where are they from? 
And so that's the kind of stuff I was collecting. But within about five minutes, I got my first comment. And the first comment below said, I don't even know what teams are playing. And I was like, right, because this is absolutely the wrong audience for this kind of post. It's worthless. It's not only, you know, it's not net sum zero. This is hurting me because people who want to read about my books, read about me, read about thriller books, come on in and they see something about football and they go, oh, he sometimes posts about random weird stuff. Well, that's less interesting to me. Hmm. I don't know. What do you guys think? What is the correct percentage of personal storytelling to inject into your newsletter and your social media? I don't know if there's a correct answer. I mean, I think you've done pretty much what we all need to do, which is figure out what that means for you as an author and as a person on social media, I guess. Like if we're talking about the two sides of it, for me, it all comes down to laziness and not wanting to maintain two different profiles. Like I have no interest in being some influencer. But I also look at it from the standpoint of like, I, I'm a person, I'm not just my books, you know? And so I decided a long time ago that the approach I'd take on social stuff was to build a platform there that reflects who I am so that when people come to it, they will feel at home because they have something in common with me. But that means that I'm not actually attracting, I'm not posting things there. Like I'm not trying to get people who watch football to my account, you know, in my case, hockey, right? You know, I'm a hockey jersey on. But when they get there, they can see that I'm into hockey. But hopefully because of the advertising that I've done, the marketing that I've done, they already know that I'm an author. They're just coming to my social account to see who I am as a person. I don't think that's right or wrong. That's kind of the way I've done it, but I don't know. I've also heard like the Pareto principle, 80-20 rule, you know, 20% of the time post about your books and 80% of the time post about somebody else or personal stuff, something not related to business. I don't know. I guess the answer is easier if you've got two completely separate accounts. If you have an author Jim Heskett account that's not, you know, the Jim Heskett Simpsons head profile, <laughs> then it keeps okay. it easy for you. Right on. What about you, Pippa? How's your social media game? How are you breaking up? Uh... It's more I try to find the parts of my personality that I'm fine sharing. So, like, I've never been someone who's really been all that comfortable posting anniversary things on Facebook or anything like that, even on my personal page, let alone an author page. So it'll be stuff that like books I've read, because I know that these are readers or video games I've played or stuff like that. Although my ultimate goal, of course, is to become like Enya, who managed to do this without any social media. And now it's coming out, lives alone in a castle with a whole bunch of cats and just like drinks a fuck ton. I'm just like sweeps around a castle in long velvet dresses. That actually does sound a lot like you. Are you in you? (laughs) (laughs) I can neither confirm nor deny this. (laughs) Just would you say you're gonna sail away after this (laughs) back to your castle? I may be, and yeah, I may also be that dude that was uh, stealing all the manuscripts. Who knows? (laughs) (laughs) Each week we find out something new about. (laughs) What are you doing, Philip? What are you doing? All right, so we're gonna go. To our next story, which is actually going to be story number four for you sports fans following along on your sheets, because Nick took all the time to clean up those links, and I got to give him credit for that, but I just got to skip it for right now. Okay, so this comes to us from Pro Writing Aid. It's how to break grammar rules and connect with readers. This is easy for me because I don't know any grammar rules. So number one, let's talk about some of these grammar rules. And should you break them and things like that? So number one is 
beginning sentences with conjunctions. Old grammar rules subscribe to the idea that each sentence was a complete thought. So starting a sentence with the words and, because, but, or so also was unacceptable. Do you guys agree with that? And how much do you pay attention to it in your own writing? Do you start sentences with and or because? Excessively. Mm. <laughs> All the time. I mean, I'm going to be honest. <laughs> I do it a lot. Mm. And now, do you feel a twinge of... Was it something I said? You know, it's just not you, it's him. It just disappeared for the listener. <laughs> so when you do that, do you feel some kind of twinge that you're... Was it ever wired into you not to do that? You know what I mean? Do you feel like uh, yeah, you're breaking the it, rules? Or do you... I think it was. Yeah, I do feel a little weird, but it flows a lot better. It flows with the way that my thoughts work and my writing tends to work a lot better. So, yeah. Right on. What about you, Jim? Are you a conjunction player? Well, this is going to sound arrogant, but I don't have enough time to rephrase it in a way that makes me sound more humble. But I had a very expensive private school education and grammar has never been a problem for me. I was taking like writing and research classes in high school. So like when I got to college, I had no problem writing a research paper and I've never had a problem with grammar. It's always just felt like I had one of those dads who constantly corrected my speech mm -hmm. constantly, like every other sentence I was being told was wrong. I think when it comes to this, there's the letter of the law and the spirit of the law. And when you're a new writer, you follow the letter of the law until you understand the way the spirit of the law works. Mm -hmm. And that the letter of the law says don't start with and and but. And the reason it says that is to prevent confusion. You know, grammar rules exist for clarity. They exist to lower confusion, increase clarity so that we can all have the same set of rules to read a book and understand or not just a book, but to read the same set of rules to read anything and understand it. And so the spirit of the law is if you can break the rules in a way that doesn't lose clarity or you know doesn't affect comprehension or clarity, then you don't need the rules. But if you're a new writer, you're not going to get to there until you've been writing for a while, until you've been writing for a while and you understand, if I break this rule, it's not going to hurt because the theme of the part of the story is still clear or the intent is the motivation is still clear. Yeah. I don't know. I was kind of rambly there. No, no, I agree. It's I've heard this quote attributed to everyone from like Rilke to Joyce to the Dalai Lama. But the effect is you have to understand the rules so then you can break them effectively. And if you don't know why you're doing something, you might just be writing poorly as opposed to making specific choices for your writing. What about you, Nick? Are you down with the conjunctions or no? Starting with conjunctions or other? I don't even know what we're talking about at this point. Okay, cool. So let's go to story number two. So story number two, that way you can hop back on the train with us. Like and such as. It used to be that the phrase such as was the standard to introduce examples. The word like was considered a preposition and not a conjunction. It was only used to signify resemblance. I don't even know what question that is. I can't ask that question. Skip that. We're going to number three. All right. Dangling modifiers. Dangling modifiers set off alarm bells for teachers and copy editors. The rule goes that the implied subject of the modifier, the one doing the action, must be identical to the subject of the main clause. The problem with dangling modifiers is that their subjects are inherently ambiguous. So is dangling modifier something that people need to watch? You guys have any problems with this? Dangling modifiers? Five on this list is the only one I feel very strongly about. Oh, please yeah. explain. Explain why. 
Well, let's go with the dangling modifiers first, because Jim has thoughts. Mm -hmm. I can see. <laughs> I was just nodding because this is the one thing that will make me immediately stop and read a book, no matter how much I want to read it. If I get to turn in the corner, the view expanded into a cityscape. I'm going to stop right there. Sentences like that drive me crazy. Starting a sentence with a gerund, I think, is a mistake most of the time. Did you notice I started that sentence with a gerund? <laughs> um, I think I was in this critique group once and I got into an argument with a writer there because the sentence that was in her story was running across the room, comma, she opened the door. And mm. I argued with her that when you put a comma in between those two clauses, you're implying that they happen simultaneously. Right. And it's impossible for someone to run across the room and open a door at the same time. And that author never came back, but I was right. <laughs> yeah, I hope you crushed I, her dreams. I, a ton of gerund phrases Sorry, just... in sentences, but I always do it second. I realize it sounds second, weird. I'm starting with a gerund phrase, but a dangling yeah. modifier is where the subject is implied. Mm -hmm. But if you say she, like in the example you gave, that's not technically a dangling modifier. It's just a crappy sentence, right? Yeah. Well, also, a lot of I, people I, just asked, I, I don't know what it is. I don't know what it is. The gerunds, and then it's like turning the corner. What was the, the exact sentence there? The view expanded into a suicide. Yeah, because the view is not turning the corner. Yep. Like, that is what annoys me with that one. Yeah. Is that often when people are using the clauses there, like, they are specifically, it's like, no, you're talking about the character turning the corner. So just, that's a verb agreement issue to me but yeah i didn't know it was oh. called a dangling modifier but that sentence sucks <laughs> <laughs> i've probably right. done it in every book but i don't do it on, i'm just it's when i like it in the flow of things and I, if i'm reading it back through carefully enough i usually catch it and be like that, that's a bad sentence i didn't know it was called a dangling modifier but now i do right on so number four here we've got ending sentences with prepositions so, you know, above, aboard, about, across, after, against, along, amid, all those things. You guys use these words that they're kind of showing us to end sentences. How do you feel about ending a sentence on a preposition? Uh, Nick, fine. you feel perfectly fine? Pippa gives no Fs. I try not to, but there are, I think it was last night, maybe I can find it. I was writing something in my work in progress. And I ended up using a preposition at the end of a sentence, but I left it because that's just the only way it really worked. I think this is an example of language changing over time. Mm -hmm. You know, we were all familiar when we were kids with ain't finally being added to the dictionary. And we were like, whoa, what you going to do now, dictionary? Mm -hmm. Yeah. About it was just going to adapt and say, fine, it's a word. And I think <laughs> this is an example where writing and grammar rules should reflect language, not the other way around. And if language is changing, then I think it's fine. I think you throw a preposition at the end of a phrase because the sentence makes sense. That's how somebody would talk. In dialogue, I think there's a whole other thing because that's how someone would talk. But like even in prose, I think that's how people would talk. I'm not saying that that's how you should write everything. You know, how do you talk? Just write like that because people are stupid and they talk really bad. <laughs> like Jim, prepositions, yay or nay? Yeah, I mean, the answer to your question about all these is that, yeah, I'll do it. I'll do whatever I want because I'm an artist and you don't want any of how hard I work. That's right. <laughs> that's right. Fair enough. The listener, that's an inside joke. Sorry. Mm. Okay. All right. Oh so my. we're going to go to number five here because Pippa had strong feelings about split infinitives. So I've seen the infinity war by Marvel. Is this related to that in any way? Yes. Yes, okay. absolutely. If you split infinitives, 
you can actually cause a ripple in the space-time continuum <laughs> from which Thanos emerges. And as we know, things just kind of go downhill from there. So, but no, this actually comes from me doing Latin where it, the infinitive, so for instance, to run, to run is the verb. You don't put something in the middle of, it's like splitting a single word to mm-hmm. add a modifier. I mean, like the blue refrigerator, you wouldn't put blue in the middle of the word. That's how I feel when I see a split infinitive. I know that intellectually, I know that that is how they are used. And there is nothing inherently wrong with it because it's two different pieces of language in English. Like it's two words. You can put something in there, but it just makes me twitch a little every time I see it. Mm. Your goal should be to never split an infinitive. Is that what you're saying? F you. (laughs) (laughs) I don't have a problem with split infinitives. Again, it all comes down to like, you know, I think a lot of what we're talking about, we're career authors and we've done this for so many years. I would even argue that we've gotten better at it over time. Most of you, three of you, I'm not going to point any fingers. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, and so there's only, there's three of us on this panel have gotten better over time. I'm not going to say, exactly, not say who it is. is. No, I think what happens though, is it's, it's hard for us to remember some of the things that we didn't know back when we didn't know them. You know, now it's second nature for me to write a sentence and be like, you know what? That's a split infinitive. I don't like the way it sounds. I'm going to rewrite that. Whereas before I would just write and not really think about that kind of stuff. I still knew the rules. I still knew not to do that. But it, same thing with dangling modifiers. Like early on, like I didn't really think about that. I was just writing the story down. And now I'm like, well, okay, you know, I'm reading back over this and it just doesn't feel right. And that feeling only comes after a bunch of experience. I absolutely will split an infinitive if I feel like I need to, or that's the way the sentence works best. But I also know that it's a rule that I'm breaking. And that's the joke, right? That's what everybody says is like, learn the rules enough and be expert enough to know when to break them. I think that's the case with this one. That's right. Okay. Let's stop. We're going to do number six, and then we're going to knock it off for the day. Number six is about contractions. A contraction is a shortened form of a word or group of words that omits certain letters or sounds. So let's see. Tell that to my pregnant wife. She was like, I'm having contractions. I'm like, that's not what a contraction is. (laughs) So I don't really know. I think maybe they're talking about a couple of different kinds of writing here. Because I've never really heard anyone have any issues with contractions in fiction. Although, I'll specifically omit contractions in dialogue of certain characters because I think it makes them sound the way I want them to sound. Like a snob, usually. You know? Any tips on contractions before we get out of here from the the panel? Put your apostrophes in the right place. Yeah, dude. Oh, my God. (laughs) Don't apostrophize plurals. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, God. That always... Merry Christmas from the Halversons. I'm like, the Halversons, what? <laughs> More than one of you. you don't need that. <laughs> my tip, I've been doing this lately in my writing. I sometimes will try not to use contractions in my writing unless it's in dialogue. People are talking and they're saying, you know, didn't or couldn't. I'll leave it. But if it's just prose, I'll often go back and say could not or did not. For whatever reason, I get—I don't know if it sounds more official or more professional, or maybe it's just some random thing I made up, but I think it makes my writing a little bit better. You know what it does do, though? Totally. Adds that word count. Adds a word. So I'm like, hey, give me all them words, man. I need to get that 80,000, that elusive (laughs) 80,000. So there's a tip for you, folks. You got a deadline? Take out the contractions. <laughs> All right. <laughs> you guys got anything you want to add? Any mulligans or anything before we get out of here for the day? No? All right. Good times. So for all of us at Author News Weekly, I'm R.A. McGee saying this meeting is over. Goodbye, everybody.